Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. And I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Atusa. Hi, everybody. It's Yusa Compulsive Overeater. Hi, Hi, everybody. I have not been at the podium for so long. I came for so many years and had um, commitments to your secretary and whatever, and I've missed you all, and my heart rate's like 135, <laughs> like, coming out of my chest, and um, let me take a second. It's really good to be here, and it's really good to see faces I've never seen before and a lot of faces I've known for many, many years. And um, thank you for hosting me um, so that I could be here. I don't drive on Saturday, so I actually spent Friday night here being hosted by Tammy so that I could walk to the meeting (laughs) and um, brought my husband along. And that is going to any length for my my recovery. Um, So what it was like... I came into program, oh, let's see, my OA birthday is May 12th, 1999, I, so it's what, 16 years plus, by God's grace, it'll be 17 years in May, day at a time, and um, my top weight was over uh, close to 200 pounds, I was a size 16, I'm pretty comfortable 10, 12 today, depending on my spiritual alignment, sometimes a little, <laughs> sometimes a little closer to 12, sometimes close to 10, and You know, I have to say I shared at this meeting um, in June of 2013 at my lowest weight. And I'm not at my lowest weight today, but I was at my lowest weight. And I was also at the beginning of my biggest crazy. (laughs) Like, it was just two years of complete heartbreak and insanity and lessons to learn. So it's very important for me to learn that I'm not necessarily my happiest at my lowest weight, even though as a compulsive overeater, it's always when, you know, when I'm a scientist, when this happens, when I get the PhD, when I get the promotion, when I'm the prettiest woman in the room, when my husband loves me like no other, when, you know, and it's like those days never, ever, ever come. You know, those days never come. So I came in, I could not stop eating. I've been a compulsive overeater Probably my earliest memories of compulsive overeating were around age four. I was born in the Middle East and, you know, to a perfectly loving, ill-equipped family. And I just remember at the age of four, my mom was feeding me white rice with something. And that white rice went down. And I was like, whoa, like I got a hit. I got a hit from rice. And later on, I found, God, I can get that same hit from pastry from raw dough, from candy, from chocolate, from big plates. Like, they all give me that, like, coat the nerves, euphoria, exhale. And I learned that really, really young. And I can't blame my compulsive overeating on anything or anybody. I was born with the ism. And a series of things happened in my childhood, which when you talk to any therapist, they're like the trifecta of, of adult crazy. And that is emigration at a young age. So we moved from Iran to the UK. 
And then my mom died when I was 13, and I came home from school to find her dead on the floor. And I lived in an extremely abusive household. And those are not to blame, but they are definitely reasons why I created some very false stories and some false truths about things that I thought were, and thus I ate over. And the ism is mostly feeling less than, feeling not good enough, feeling like I missed the boat, like everyone else got it, and I somehow missed it. And so, as a kid I ate, I stole food, I, my mom would make something, she'd come back to an empty pot, um, all my money would go towards candy, and the food was a really good escape from what was going on in the house, because I couldn't talk to anybody about it, and I didn't talk to anybody about it until I was, I was like married. I think my husband was the first person who knew, who knew about it, and the food just kept it just enough under wraps and kept the pain, it, it just kept the pain in control. You know, it was like when someone's in the hospital and they're on that IV, you know, for pain management, and that's just what the food did. Went straight into my arm and it, and it coated the pain. And so, after my mom died, within a month, we moved to the United States. And I now became, like, the Persian girl who went to UK. I was, like, the only, like, dark-colored girl, like, for miles and miles on the countryside of Manchester. And then I went from, like, that to, like, Beverly Hills, where there were, like, no white people, right? It was, like, <laughs> it was, like all Persians, right? So I was, like, what? Like, what just happened? And it was probably the biggest culture shock of my life. Now, my mom had just literally dropped dead. My dad was an alcoholic, ill-equipped, God, you know, God bless him, whatever he was dealing with. And I got thrown into Beverly Hills into my grandparents' home who had just lost a daughter. And the abuse continued and the eating continued. And the eating became, I mean, I always, I always talk about myself as a food pharmacist. Like, I have a pharmacology in, like, food medical sciences. I can, like, concoct things that they're really creative, you know, because the right combination of, like, starch and sugar and salt and crunch, and I've got it. Like, I've got the Vicodin of food. I've got the IV drip of Demerol, you know, which is, which is what I wanted and what I thought. And so here I was. I was taking care of a little brother. I was living with grieving grandparents. I was living with a sociopath father, and I ate. And I did it. I did it really well. And as my body got bigger and bigger and bigger, and everyone else, you know, I came to, I came to LA in second semester of eighth grade, which is like the worst time. Like I watch my kids now in eighth grade. It's a, it's a terrible time. It's a horrific time that middle school period. And I think, like, thank God for the food. Because if I hadn't gone for the food, the ism would have taken me to something else. But it took me to the food. It took me to the bakery. It took me to the pots of rice. It took me to the sugar. And I began trying many different weight loss methods. I've tried everything from hypnosis to Weight Watchers and Jenny Craig and, and you know, voodoo doctors and, and 
uh, eating disorder specialist <laughs> and everything. And my favorite was eating on the way to the eating disorder specialist <laughs> and binging on the way home. Or paying the trainer who was going to be it. Like, this, you know, this person's going to be it. Here's my $1,400 for the next two months and coming home and binging. And that is pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization, right? It's this time it's going to be different. This time it's going to be different. And my body just kept getting bigger. And so sometime in high school, uh, my father married this woman, and um, who I've since actually made amends to, made financial amends to, and I now can actually like see her on the street and say hello and have a conversation with her, which is a miracle of this program. But he married this woman, and her son was the most popular guy in high school. And so I had arrived, right? I had arrived. I was now no longer the immigrant kid. I was the step, I was the sister to this really cool popular guy. And I thought, oh my God, like all my, all my problems are solved, right? And like my friend circle changed and I, I learned how to die, like starve. And so I would, wouldn't eat all day. And then I would go to the gym and I'd work out for three hours. And that went on for months and months and months. And then I began to shrink. And then I started to get all this attention. Like, wow, like what happened to a tooth cell? Like, and as soon as I arrived, at that weight where everyone went, oh, you're perfect now. Guess what? I started eating again. Because any time that validation was from the outside, a part of me, both middle fingers went up and said, screw you. Don't tell me what perfect is, even though I had made that goal for myself. So it wasn't about anybody but me. So the weight went up and the weight went down, and, and I graduated high school and got married young, and I was a, I was a mess. Like, I was a ball of resentment, and I was eating, and my husband was confused. <laughs> like, what, like, how can I help you? Like, do you want a treadmill? Like, can I, can I, like, what? And, and poor guy, he's like the most normal man on the planet. Like, he eats moderately, he exercises moderately, and he's like, I, I don't get it. You know, what can I do to help you? And I knew that I was getting really close to out of ideas because when I ate, I was a raving lunatic. And when I dieted, and I restricted, I was a raving lunatic. And there was no comfort. I hated everybody. I had so many resentments. And I was thinking about the word resentment today, and I thought, resentment, I guess it comes from, like, resent. It's a feeling that just keeps resending like an error message. You know, like an error message. Like, I hate her. I hate her. She did that. He did that. I'm less than. I should be. I could have been. If he wouldn't have, then I wouldn't have. Then we could have been. Then he could have been. Then I should have been. I hate her. You know, so it's like this resentment. And, and that's what I was. I treated people badly. I was bad. I was not a good mother. Um, my daughter would go to sleep. I had my first one when I was 19. And... I had no tools to be a mother. I had no tools. And she would take a nap, and I would binge. And she would nap from about 12 p.m. to 3 p.m., which was like all my children until Oprah. <laughs> and, so, and I would just eat for three hours. You know? And when you drink, you might reek of alcohol. You know, when you're using, I don't know, your eyes look funny or you look stoned or whatever. But my husband would come home. And he would see food coma. He would see a wife who was not there. 
who was not taking care of his kid. And so at 3 o'clock when Oprah came on and she woke up, I was not very nice to her. You know, like she just interrupted my afternoon binge. And this went on until, you know, dieted and gained weight. And and it was always, you know, my poor husband was, you know, who are you looking at? Is she prettier or am I prettier? What, is she thinner or am I thinner? And the unmanageability of living with an addict is horrific. <laughs> like, it's just horrific. God bless the Aladon program. But the unmanageability, and I was thinking about the word unmanageable the other day. Unmanageable is, I don't want to go to the wedding because nothing fits. I don't want to go to the wedding because I just binged because I knew nothing was, was going to fit, so what the hell I ate. Right? Unmanageable is not being able to walk through somewhere or to somewhere thinking people, I'm too fat. And that unmanageability affects every part of my life. This is not an isolated disease. For me, it wasn't like, oh, I, I sort of, I'm an isolated addict. You know, I wasn't. All of my behavior affected everybody. And so I had this kid, I was now, what, I had it when I was 19, so I binged and starved and did all the crazy. And people didn't understand, like, they see me in January, and I'd be like a size 16. And then they see me in August, and I'd be like a size 10. And then they see me in October, <laughs> and they'd be like, what? You know, or they see me come home from the gym, you know, but gaining weight. And so, like, I confused people. And so my daughter turned three and she started preschool. And um, I really wanted to get involved with the PTA. So the way that I came to the PTA, the way my very first PTA job was president of the chocolate club. And, uh, I, I kid you not. I kid you not. Right? I couldn't vouch for it. And I was like, this is a great way to get involved in my daughter's preschool, right? Is to become president of the, of the chocolate drive. And so I did. And I sold a lot of chocolate, mostly to myself. And my Eskimo is actually in the room. I'll forever be grateful to her. Um, and so one night, I was out with Rose, and I said, you know, Rose, or the next day or whatever, I said, I can't stop eating. And she goes, well, what do you mean? I said, I can't stop eating. I cannot stop eating. She goes, well, well like what? Like, what would you eat? I said, the chocolate. Last night, I ate all that chocolate. She goes, well, like a bar or two? I was like, no, I think I had, like, 14. <laughs> and she was like, you had 14 chocolate bars? I was like, yeah. Well, did you throw up? I was like, no. Did you get a stomach ache? I was like, no. She said, I think you need OA. I'm like, what is OA? She said, it's Overeaters Anonymous. And welcome to our newcomer. I think Overeaters Anonymous is the unsexiest word for a program. Like, there is, there is no attraction, right, um, in that name. But, and she, and she kept sort of saying it. She's like, did you go? Did you check out a meeting? Did you check out a meeting? Did you check out a meeting? And finally I did, and I went to Harvard Street, 6.30 p.m. on Thursday nights. And that meeting was hopping. Like, in the 90s, it was, like, standing room only. Um, and, and we had a posse, and it was, it was, it was great. And I went, and I did absolutely nothing, okay? All I did was show up on Thursdays. I came in at 6.30. I left at 7.31. I didn't talk to anyone. I thought, tried to get a sponsor, but it didn't really work. I didn't understand what the hell the big book was saying. I didn't work any tools. I did nothing 
other than show up. That's all I did, right? And I did that for about a year, and then I got pregnant with my second kid. And the you-know-what hit the fan. It was horrific. I was binging and binging and binging and binging. And had it not been sort of the metabolism of my youth and the health of my youth, I would have had a really horrific pregnancy. And the kid was born, and again, now I'm a mom of two, and I've got no tools. I've got a five-year-old, and I've got this newborn, and I hate everybody, and I hate myself, and you did this to me, and I'm binging. And I have, like, the pantry door open, a newborn on my shoulder, uh, sweats because nothing else fit, and they were dirty, but I didn't care. And I remember my last binge was on a box of matzo because Passover was in April, and I got abstinent in May. So it was a box of leftover matzah and a whole tub of butter. And I remember, like, the butter got onto my hair, and I didn't have enough... I didn't have the tools to get up and get a paper towel and wipe it. Like, I just kept eating. And so what I remember of butter is the smell of rancidity on my hair. Right? That's what my last binge smelled like. And so I called Jeannie, and God bless Jeannie, and, and I was like, Jeannie, you know, and, and I, I sort of didn't understand Jeannie. I was sort of a little afraid of her and a little, like, in awe of her. And, and I, but all I knew was that she lost, like, 100-plus pounds, and she kept coming back. That's all I knew. And so I called her, and I said, Jeannie, I, I can't stop eating, and I don't know what to do. I've got this baby. And she's like, well, why don't you get a sponsor? And I said, great, will you sponsor me? And she said, you know, I've got so many women right now, but here is someone who can sponsor you. Call her. And it turned out to be one of the women she was sponsoring. So she gave me this woman's number, Heidi. And I didn't know Heidi. I've never met Heidi. I didn't know what Heidi looked like. It didn't even matter what Heidi looked like. Heidi had four years of recovery and was in a normal body size. And I was desperate enough to do whatever she said. So I called her, and um, I was like, hey, Jeannie gave me your number. I think I called her like six times in that one day. left many, many messages. And she finally called. She's like, hey, how can I help you? I was like, no, do you think you can sponsor me? And she said, sure. I was like, okay, cool. She goes, well, this is how I sponsor. I need you to go to three meetings a week, no matter what. Pick up two service commitments. Call me every single day at the same time. We're going to work steps together. And I was like, okay. She said, I'm not your mom. I'm not your shrink. And I'm not going to loan you money. <laughs> I was like, okay. And then later on, we got together, and I met her. And she's a perfectly lovely, you know, woman in her 20s. And we're actually exactly the same age. And, and she was, like, sane. She was serene. She ate normal meals. And, and one thing I learned from Heidi, I remember calling her and being like, hey, what do you eat for breakfast? And she was like, well, honey, like, I'm going to have toast or an egg, a little bit of cereal. And she said, I eat breakfast food for breakfast, lunch food for lunch, and dinner food for dinner. And that was novel to me because last night's Chinese food was breakfast. Two boxes of cereal were dinner, right? Leftover matzo from Passover was my snack. Right? And then it was the check to the personal trainer to lose the weight while I hated everybody. And my husband actually thought I was having an affair. And, you know, I actually was not having an affair. But addiction is a self-obsession that might as well be an affair because that's how much time it takes to sneak around and lie and get loaded and come home and sort of be like, hey, like, where'd you go? Oh, I didn't lose it. I just went to the bakery and had 13 donuts. 
That's where I was. I just ate 14 bagels. 14. I'm a volume eater. You know, it's not just like a little extra piece of chicken. You know, I eat like a trucker. <laughs> she, and, and she didn't eat like a trucker. Like, I watched her eat, and I was like, oh, like, a normal meal. Like, it wasn't like she was eating brown rice and tofu, because that would not have attracted me. But not once did she tell me what to eat. And so I worked with Heidi, and Heidi was my sponsor for nine solid years. And she gave me so much. She gave me so much, and she's, she's still in my life. She just celebrated 21 years of, of abstinence, and I just, I feel so emotional because there are women in this room who have carried me through 17, almost 17 years of abstinence and 19 years of a program, and my life started to get bigger, and I worked sex, and I changed my career, and I had another baby. I had an abstinent baby, and my marriage got better, and like, you know, my, my sponsor now says, when you adopt a, a puppy from the shelter who's been abused, the tail is down. And after a little while, the tail starts wagging again. You know? And once I started to be in recovery, my tail started to wag again. And so life got really big. And you know what happened? My meetings got small. And my crazy got a little bigger. And so on my ninth birthday, um, right around my eight and a half years in, of, of abstinence, um, Heidi rudely got married and moved out of the state and left me. <laughs> and <laughs> there's something about having a sponsor who is local. In my experience, that has worked really well for me because a sponsor who can look you in the eyes and be like, hey, how are you? And you've got to look back and they can see right through you. Because sometimes when someone's far away, I can bullshit. Like, I'm doing great. Like, everything's fine. And I hung up the phone and you know what fine stands for, right? We all know what fine stands for. And I'm not fine. So nine years in, on my ninth birthday, I called a couple people looking for a sponsor. And I've never been without a sponsor in this program. If there's anything I've ever done right, right, I don't have the perfect program. I don't have the perfect abstinence. I don't have the perfect body. I don't even know what the perfect body is, but I don't think I have it. And the only thing I've ever done perfectly is that I've never gone without a sponsor, except for that half a day that I was looking for one on my ninth birthday. I've never been without a service commitment, and I've never gone to less than three meetings a week for however many long, 16, 17 years. And so someone gave me my new sponsor's member, Leslie. And I called Leslie. <laughs> Leslie was a double winner. And I just, I didn't know much about her, but I knew that she'd been coming for a long time. And the first thing she said was, how many meetings are you getting to? And I was like, oh, I've just been so busy. I used to go to three, but now I go to, oh, I don't know, uh, one? <laughs> and she's like, mm, how about you up it to four? I'm like, four? But my old sponsor was three. She's like, why are you up it to four with four service commitments? Oh, hell, why'd you call it? Why no, why'd I call this woman? Um, <laughs> but she has now been my sponsor for 17 plus years. I mean, seven plus years, right? So nine plus seven, 16 plus. And there's no such thing as a perfect sponsor, although I think mine are pretty, mine are pretty darn close. But it's, it's that I pick up the phone, I say what's going on, and she shares God. She shares God. Never does she say, well, why don't you just try, like, half a sandwich today? You know, why don't you just run a little more? You know, why don't you, you know, it's never that. It's, 
you know, what's going on with your meetings? When was the last time you did step work with a sponsor, uh, with a sponsee? Um, why don't you just plan your meals today? The most you'll say about my food is, why don't you plan your meals today? Right, what's going on with your service? And so I, you know, we've been working for seven years, and, and you know, from 2013 till now, I think I had two years of probably the most brutal, brutal emotional pain. Just in September of 2013, something happened, and I thought I was going to die of a broken heart. <laughs> I really did. I was, I was heartbroken. And I cried. You know, I started counting my days of crying. I was like, oh, day 142, day 187. And I would call my sponsor and be like, the pain won't end. Like, when is the pain going to end? She's like, you'll get through. Just keep showing up. You'll get through. And I didn't believe her. I didn't believe her. And all of the ism came back. All of the, you don't get it. I deserved that. I worked hard for that. Why does she get to have that? Where is mine? Where is God? I hate everybody. And it was like, like, where's my recovery? <laughs> where's my recovery? And I would sit in meetings. My program never wavered. I came to more meetings. I sat, I was secretary. I would read the format and I would cry for the rest of the meeting. Like that was all, that's all I could do. I would be crying. A sponsor would call. I'd take the call. I'd hang up and cry. It was brutal. And when that ism started to come back, I started to see a part of this disease and how much it hurts the people around me. And I remember I had one particularly hard weekend where I was just mad at everybody. You know, I was just resentful and angry, and no one gets it, and no one does it my way. And there's actually an Atusa book of rules that you guys should all pick up. It's on Amazon. Um, and, and I don't think anyone's read it, okay, because no one ever does anything my way. And I have such great ways of doing things, you guys. But no one does it my way. And I just remember I had four separate incidents. I had four, like, fights over, like, 36 hours with four completely different people. And you know what? If you bump into three assholes in one day, you're probably one of them, you know? And I was like, oh, my God, the only common denominator is here. And as I'm trying to justify my crappy behavior to my husband and my two oldest daughters, and I'm like, you don't get it, and she did this, and I said that, and he did this, and they... And I just remember my husband, like, literally looked at me, like you would look at a raging alcoholic. And he just, he, I remember the way he looked at me was, I don't think I know you right now. And I saw it. I just saw that pain. And he said, you know what, Atisa? When you get oversensitive, you start attacking people in an effort to protect yourself. And it was like the whole house crashed down. I was like... What? You know, and I remember each of them looking at each other, like, being like, she's gone crazy. Like, what is she saying? You know, and the ism came back. The ism is there. I have this ism. And the food is but a symptom of the ism. That's all it is. And so amends had to be made. Like, hardcore amends had to be made. And 
I did inventories and I read them to my sponsor and I made the amends and I made an amends to my husband about it. And, you know, I always tell Leslie, you know, Leslie, we alcoholics are sensitive people. (laughs) 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 But that's what it says, right? It says that in the book. We alcoholics are sensitive people. And then Leslie always reminds me that the very next line says, and this is a, what what is the word? Thank you. <laughs> I'll make this stuff up, right? Um, this is a serious handicap we must learn to overcome if we are to recover. You know? Because it's always about, I'm really sensitive. You're really hurting my feelings right now. Like, let's sit down and talk about how you hurt my feelings. Because you don't understand. My mom died when I was younger. You know, my dad was a jerk. I had to emigrate to this country. You don't get it. I married young. I had a kid when I was 19. I missed the boat on everything. And now you're being mean to me. <laughs> Just this, like, crazy. And that is a serious handicap that I need to overcome. Right. So I had to make amends, and I I sat down with my husband, and I made amends, and he he was so grateful that I had done that, and I was like, okay, we're cool now, right? <laughs> Let's get coffee. And he was like, I I accept your amends, but it's going to take me a little while to get over this. And it was, it reminded me of the story in the big book of the, uh, of the farmer who, um, what is it, like after the tornado, he comes out and the, the tornado stops and goes, ain't it wonderful the wind stopped blowing? You know, ain't it wonderful the wind stopped howling or something? And the rest of the family's like, um, yeah, but look, <laughs> like, look what we have to clean up. And yeah, it was wonderful that the wind had stopped howling, that I made that amends, but there is still a period of reconstruction in my marriage because... I am a compulsive reader, and I live in self-obsession, and everything that happens out there is somehow related to me, because I'm either not good enough, or I'm better than, and I'm damn afraid of losing what I have or not getting what I want, and so I act out. And so I got a glimpse, you know, my daughter is, what time do we end? Oh. Um... My daughter's getting married and uh, becoming a mother-in-law, really. And I decided to lose weight for the wedding, which is a really good idea. It always, it always goes really well when I pick a date to be a certain size by. And I have this dress, and the dress is from, I think I bought the dress 11 years ago or 12 years ago. And I'm like, I'm going to wear that dress to the wedding. Okay. Now, in 11 years, your body changes, right? Things shift, fashion changes. I don't even know if that dress fits. I haven't even tried on the dress. But I will not go dress shopping until I fit into that dress. I don't even know if it fits. Okay. So it's hanging in my closet, and I'm beating myself up going, I'm going to fit into that dress. But first, but first, let me order some creamy pasta for dinner. Because tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow when I'm eating better, right, then I will work towards working towards. And I started to go... <laughs> insane and so I got really sick a few weeks ago and and this is recovery by the way now right so (laughs) sorry newcomer like this is what recovery looks like um I got really really sick with something and I ended up I ubered myself to urgent care and like really doubled over in pain (laughs) the doctor goes I think it's your gallbladder and I'm like oh she goes yes and and 
you know, you fit the profile. The profile is female, 40, fat. And I was like, she was like, no, 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 not that you're fat. But, I mean, that's how we memorize it in medical school. Like, that's the profile for gallbladder disease is female who are fat in their 40s. Not that you're fat. And I was like, and here I am, like, doubled over in pain. And I'm going, this is how I'm going to fit into that dress. They're going to take my gallbladder out. <laughs> like, organ removal, right, is the solution to weight loss now, right? <laughs> and so she was like, well, you're going to have to take it out. And then once they take it out, you can't eat a lot of fat because the, the gallbladder is stored file, blah, 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 blah. And all I can hear is, I'm going to fit into the dress. I'm going to fit into the dress. Gonna, like, like, God has given me the de- you know, this gift of organ removal before my daughter's wedding to make things happen for me. That is insanity. Okay? It's insanity. Now, while we're waiting for the results, so I go home, whatever, and I wait it out. And my, my test results are supposed to come on Friday afternoon. So on Friday morning, I have a chocolate croissant with my coffee because if I'm not going to be able to eat fat anymore, I might as well get it in before the surgery. Uh, right? It's insanity. Look, that is sheer insanity. And you know what the recovery is? The recovery is I pick up the phone and I tell my sponsor. Like, this is what's going on. And she takes me back to the book, takes me back to God, takes me back to what's your plan for the day, right? And I'm powerless. Like, I'm powerless over that first bite. My abstinence is no binging. Thank you, God, in however many years, 16 plus. I have never eaten a whole bag of anything. I've never eaten a whole cup of anything. I've never, you know, for today, eaten, you know, more than one bagel or more than one donut or more than whatever it is. I don't binge anymore. Um, I don't eat butter or margarine. So if toast comes and it's got butter on it, I send it back. If, you know, I order whatever it's got butter on it, I send it back. Because that rancid smell of butter from that last binge, it's still with me. You know, it's still with me. And I don't ever, ever want to go back there. And I have to say, like, when, when all that pain came around, I'm literally just coming out of it. It's been, like, three months that I feel a little bit better. Um... I was so grateful for bottom line abstinence because I knew that if I took that tub of butter out of the refrigerator, and there's butter in my house, there's everything in my house. I've got three kids. Okay, there's everything in my house. If I took that butter out of the refrigerator, it would be over. It would be over. And I would have absolutely, I'd have nowhere else to go. Like it would just, I don't even think I've got another abstinence in me. Or at least I don't ever want to know. I don't want to try again. I don't want to try again. What I've been given here is the gift of sponsorship, my own sponsor and sponsoring other women. I sponsor a lot of women. And they call me regularly. I sponsor imperfectly. I'm not always at the phone. I don't always call back, you know, right away. Um, I have the gift of willingness. My home meeting now, again, I don't walk on Saturdays, but my Saturday meeting is still like 35 minutes away from my house. And I'm the literature person. And the literature is in a piece of luggage that's like this big. So I have to like leave my house an hour early to walk to the meeting, to pull out the luggage, to put out the literature table, right? That's willingness. That's going to any length, right? Being treasurer at another meeting, picking up the phone when I don't want to, doing step work. And what has changed in 16 and a half years is that if I don't start my day with God, 
the day will go to hell. Because I actually watched myself do this the other day. I woke up. It was like my eyes flung open. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm awake. Uh, what problem can I focus on? Any problem? Mm, scan, 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 scan. That was literally the first thought. And if I don't wake up and go straight to God, the day doesn't go very well. And the more recovery I get, the more God I need. <laughs> One would think that, like, oh, I've got so much recovery now. You know, maybe a little less God. It's actually the opposite. I could skate by without a morning ritual. I could skate by without boarding, without prayer and meditation. I can't anymore. So my favorite ritual is 10 minutes of writing, gratitude list, 10 minutes of meditation, and just read something. Done. And all of a sudden, the sun starts shining, the clouds open up, like I just feel better. Because when I wake up in that, what's the problem today? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Let me check my email. Let me check my email. I'll check my email. Oh, shit, what's going on? And so I get into this. And all that does is it ends up back on the plate. And I don't want it there anymore. So I'm so grateful. I hope you stick around. Congratulations on your chip. And the gifts of this program just keep on coming. And the fact that my husband was willing to, like, come spend 24 hours here so that I could speak at a meeting, like, that is a testament to my crazy (laughs) and how much he knows I need meetings and what he has to, you know, to show up for and what he does show up for. And my kids are little 12-step babies, and um, the youngest one knows that mommy goes to meetings to be a better mom. And... A couple of weeks ago, she got really angry at me, and she slammed the door, and she said, those meetings aren't working. <laughs> she was like, go call your sponsor. They're not working. You need more. There's a lot of 12-step humor in the house. Like, I'll come back to a meeting, and my husband will be like, how was your session? How was your, how was your class? How, I'm like, it's a meeting. Like, it's a meeting. Oh, okay. How was the convention? I'm like, <laughs> right? Or we'll meet someone, and they'll say hello. Hello, and do you go to do you go to like Thursdays anymore? And he'll be like, Oh, is that a friend of Bob? I'm like friend of Bill, not friend of Bob. <laughs> yeah, so there's like a lot of there's a lot of, uh, of humor, um, and they know that if mom, you know, if mom doesn't go to meetings, mom is crazy, and if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And my cousin said something really, really powerful the other day. She said it to say, You've got better HIPAA privacy laws than Cedars does. She's like, I can tell you anything and know it's not going anywhere. It's a gift of anonymity. You know, I don't gossip much, you know, much. I really don't. It's, 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 is it perfect? No. Right? But I used to be like, guess what? You know what happened? You know what she was wearing? You know what she did? Oh, my God. Who was she married to? Did you see that ring? Ah, right? And it's, it's not that anymore. Like, you tell me something, it stays with me. It goes to my grave. It doesn't come out. And, again, it's all program. It's all program. I cannot imagine my life without program and so thank you to michael for asking me to share and thank you for letting me be here okay oh yeah i talk about resentments and how do i get out of those first of all um it's a lot of mini, mini fourth steps, otherwise known as a tenth step. So if something, first of all, now that I've been in recovery for a while, as soon as something feels wrong, as soon as that, like, you did that to me, 
you got your share and I didn't, right? And it starts going. I like feel it at the cellular level. So I do a quick, a quick fourth step. What was it? What happened or who was it or what was it? Um, what's my part? And what did it affect? And I read it to my sponsor. And out of that, I get in touch with my character defect, which it's the same character defect over and over and over and over again, right? So it's ultimately playing the victim or being selfish or being self-righteous or whatever it was. Read it to my sponsor. Does an amend need to be made? If I need to make the amends, I make the amends. If not, I pray for the resentment to be removed and or I pray for the person for 30 days, which I hate doing. (laughs) like dear god please bless mary with love and abundance and all the good things she wants in life and the resentment leaves after about 12 days are there like remnants of it yeah i mean not everything's perfect but it's so great like there's no one in my life who i would see at a grocery store and go through the other aisle because i don't want to see them like those amends have been made so i still have boo-boos but they just don't hurt as much Ah, time. Thank you.